Good morning. I'd like to begin with an update on the latest case numbers for E. coli infections related to this outbreak. There are currently 351 lab-confirmed cases and a total of 37 confirmed secondary cases. As of this morning, four individuals remain in hospital. For these four children, I know that they are receiving outstanding care at Alberta, at Alberta Children's Hospital here in Calgary. And I would like to thank all the frontline healthcare workers who have been caring nonstop for these children. My thoughts are with those parents who continue to sit at their children's bedsides and with all families who have been impacted by this outbreak. The good news is that the number of new infections has plateaued and most of the children connected to this outbreak have been cleared to return to daycare. I would like to take a moment now to update Albertans on the investigation into this outbreak. We first declared an outbreak on September the 4th, just over three weeks ago. It quickly became apparent that a central kitchen that provided food to 11 different sites was likely the source of the E. coli that has caused this outbreak. And we, in, we focused our investigation there. Now, just to give you a sense of the scale of the investigation that followed over the next few days, we thoroughly tested 44 different food items, five milk samples, and five oat beverage samples. We have interviewed hundreds of people that included daycare staff, children's families, kitchen staff, and food delivery drivers. In all, we were looking at a total of 1,063 children who attended the affected daycares, 211 daycare workers, nine kitchen staff, and three delivery drivers. Investigators cross-checked their interviews with attendance records, combed through individual meal plans, some of which involve four separate meals per day, as well as some special menus, and also examined kitchen controls and timed food delivery routes. All of these data are analyzed and probabilities are assigned to all of the possible sources. What I can tell you today is that one meal in particular came out with extremely high odds of being the source of infection. Based on our investigation, we believe that meatloaf and vegan loaf meals that were served for lunch on August the 29th most likely contain the E. coli bacteria that led to these infections. Unfortunately, neither of these items could be tested as they were either eaten or discarded before this outbreak was identified. While we now have a likely source, what we do not know exactly is what was contaminated or how. 
I do not want to speculate at this point on the answers to these two questions, as the investigation remains extremely active and is ongoing. It's also important to make sure that our work on this investigation is accurate and transparent. I've asked that we seek a third-party external review to validate our findings, to be sure that we have not missed anything, and to be sure that our analysis of the data is complete. When this work is finished, we will make this investigation report public. At the end of the day, this large outbreak is about people. It's about the sick children and their families who have endured so much. It's about the child care staff. It's about the hundreds of health care professionals who have been part of the response to this outbreak. I want to thank everyone who has cared for a sick child and to all of those who are currently working to understand how this outbreak happened. I want Albertans to know that we are doing everything in our power to answer as many questions as possible, and we will share our complete findings with everyone as soon as possible. I'd now like to hand things over to Premier Danielle Smith. Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Dr. Jaffe. Before I begin, I'd like to provide a quick update on the compassionate payments that we announced earlier for families with children enrolled in the original facilities that were closed due to the outbreak. I'm pleased to say that the portal opened on Monday, and parents have been informed by Children and Family Services that they can apply for their payments. As of yesterday, we've received approximately 775 applications. The last four weeks have been a terrifying time for hundreds of families in the Calgary area. These families have endured the agony of watching their children suffer from the battle against E. coli that should have been prevented. And we know as a government that we must take action to ensure that this never happens again. As, previ as previously announced, I've tasked the Minister of Health, Adriana Lagrange, and the Minister of Children and Family Services, Cyril Turton, with reviewing food safety in kitchens that provide food in licensed child care facilities in order to put in place the necessary measures to prevent this from ever happening again. And we're taking another step in this critical work. Today, I'm announcing the creation of an external review panel led by former Calgary Police Chief Rick Hansen to conduct a comprehensive review of government policy and food safety practices to keep our children safe. Throughout this difficult time, parents, the broader public, and members of our government have raised several difficult issues. And that's why Mr. Hansen will be joined by Alberta parents, child care operators, food service operators, and food safety and public health experts. The panel will be examining all aspects of this tragic situation, large and small, as well as taking a full broader look at the legislation and regulations that govern food safety in our province. I had the opportunity to meet with some of the parents at the hospital where they watched helplessly as their children battled the effects of the E. coli bacteria. During our conversation, some parents mentioned that they wished that the kitchen inspection reports were posted at the daycare where they could be seen, not just online. This is one example of potential policy changes that the panel needs to examine. I also requested that the panel review the inspection process, including the consequences for food operators when they have repeat violations, 
safety training requirements for all kitchen staff and potential barriers to accessing those training requirements. In addition, I asked the panel to look at food handling requirements such as temperature control and storage both on-site where the food is prepared and stored as well as off-site transit to where it will be delivered and consumed. Let me be clear, these are just a few of the areas the panel will examine, and through their work, they may find other areas to focus on, and they can and will pursue those. I've asked the panel to work quickly, and while we wait for this important work to be complete, we will not hesitate to make changes if they're needed, when they're needed. Our goal is to develop a system um, that is stronger and safer, and one that every parent can trust. And I look forward to the panel's recommendations and the work we will accomplish together for the children and the families who've been affected by this outbreak and for all Albertans. Thank you, and we'd be happy to take questions. Thank you. We'll uh, be going with one question and one follow-up today. We'll start off here in person in the room, if you'd like to line up at the mic in front, and then we'll head over to the phones. We'll start with our first question at the mic here. Hi, Terry from CTV. Thanks for taking my question. I guess first, if you can just give us an idea of how long this panel will take, if there's a deadline of when we can expect some results. What, uh, in speaking with uh, with um, with Rick Hansen, he had asked for a little bit of time to assemble the panel. We wanted to put him in place first, um, and then he'll put the, the panel together. And what we'll be asking for is monthly updates. I had initially hoped that we'd be able to have the results back by the first quarter of the year, but his uh, his ask was that we just make sure that the investigation is thorough and complete. And so he didn't want to have sort of an arbitrary timeline to work towards. He asked if we could just give him a little bit of time to scope it out. And when he um, uh, is uh, when he's got that that committee together, we should have a better idea of how long that is actually going to take. But I'm I'm hoping that it is the reason we're assembling it this way is I think we need some answers quickly. He'll be giving us advice along the way. If there's things that we can act on immediately, we will. We don't need to wait for the final report if there's some things that are obvious. And, um, and then we'll, we'll see what ta- when the final report will be available. Okay. And my follow-up is off topic for a colleague. I'm wondering, is it appropriate for Rebecca Schultz's husband to be a lobbyist currently trying to influence your government's land and water management? Um, I understand that uh, all of the, he's, he's a, He's registered under the lobbyist registry. The ethics commissioner has looked at his activities, given guidance, and there's been no violation. Hi, Colette Dewars, Canadian Press. Uh, just seeking some clarification on your program, your compensation program. Uh, yeah. The way it was worded, it, it sounds like it might include some of the uh, later closed daycares, the partially closed daycares and the exclusion orders. Can you just uh, clarify that for sure, us, Sure, I'll let the minister clarify that. Great. Yes, thank you very much. So um, as per the announcement last week is that the uh, any parent that was affected by a daycare day, day closure as per the EHS um, uh, rules uh, pertaining to the event on September 4th, uh, those parents are eligible to receive the $2,000 payment. So the program hasn't changed. Still the 11 original then? Or? Yes, absolutely. It's, so the program hasn't expanded. It's important to note that just more daycares since the original announcement, um, have actually become eligible for that for those payments. So those parents are in the 19 daycares are all eligible for the program. Uh, the, the the exact um, details about who's uh, eligible for it are actually on the portal. But yes, it's pertaining to those 19 daycares that were affected by the HS uh, closures. Excellent. I'll let someone else ask. <laughs> Jonathan Bradley, Western Standard. The City of Calgary has charged the catering company with uh, bylaw infraction, 
but the Calgary Police Service has not laid criminal charges. Is the Calgary Police Service investigating the the vacating company? Why or why not? You'll have to ask the Calgary Police Service. That's um, um, I don't give direction to the Calgary Police Service. They'll have to make their own decisions as to whether or not something rises to the level of investigation. I did also see the the, the charge that uh, the city of Calgary issued is quite serious. It sounds like it could be up to $120,000 in fines. So um, obviously everybody is taking this very seriously and we leave it to the different orders of government and the uh, police service to decide if any other action needs to be taken. So you mentioned that there are 775 applications for compassionate payments and this is seems like a large number compared to the amount of children who were sick and hospitalized. How do you determine who receives those payments and who gets what? Well, as uh, Minister Turton has said, there were the 11 original daycares that had the 1,083, but because of secondary infections, they had to make partial closures on several other daycares, I believe eight other daycares. Um, And so there's a a process on the website to go through about which specific parents are going to be able to be eligible for that. I can uh, turn it over to Minister Turton to give you more details about how they're determining who's eligible. Yes, thank you very much, Premier. As I stated before, is that any of the daycares affected by the September 4th closure, the original 11, uh, those parents are eligible for the compassionate payment. The program has not expanded, but since the original announcement, additional daycares have become eligible under the original criteria that we talked about that were affected by the uh, HS orders to be to be shut down. Can you talk about how you know which parents are getting Yes, so the portal is open. Um, As the Premier mentioned, uh, over 800 now, I believe, as of this morning, have actually uh, put in applications into the portal. But any parent that has questions about if they're eligible or want to get additional information can go onto the portal. Um, It's on uh, the CFS website or also on my local social media, and they can get additional information about if they qualify. Thank you. Alana Smith, Globe and Mail. A uh, question for my colleague in Ottawa. Uh, for the second time, Alberta has rejected a series of access requests for basic data from the Globe and Mail. This policy position could limit the province's access obligations in the future. Now, in June, you said that you were going to look into what happened. Just wondering what came of that inquiry. Well, I, I talked to Minister Newdorf yesterday. I'm not entirely sure what uh, report your your colleague is looking for. I mean, we have a report that talks about uh, the, I mean, $52 billion of additional cost. If we were to meet the net zero requirements, she may have to be more specific about exactly what it is she's asking for. I'm also, we also, I'm meeting this afternoon with somebody who is doing modeling for us on the abatement curves. I mean, our intention is to make all of this public because it helps us in our conversation with the federal government on getting to a more realistic time frame. So I don't know if there's Maybe some sure. Well, lost from what translation I there, but we're we're trying to be as uh, anything that that we can put out there that demonstrates that a 2050 target is is realistic and reasonable. We're quite happy to share that. So I'm, 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 I suppose we can follow up to find out what specific report she's looking for. But my understanding is that the information is available. Sorry, I should be more clear. It's the report from Robin Doolittle and Tom Cardoso, okay. and it's just about basic information under the Freedom of Information Act. We had can asked you take for a note this of that, before. Sam? Yeah, yep. and we'll see if we can follow up on that, okay? Okay, thank you. It was Robin Doolittle and Tom Cardoza. And Tom Cardoza. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Hey, it's uh, Aaron Collins with CBC Hi. National News. I just want to circle back to the, the panel there. Uh, so you've launched this panel to look into, you know, food safety and this sort of thing around the province. The investigation is still ongoing, so there's obviously some questions about 
you know, how safe the system is and you know, how good the regulations are. So what should parents take away from this? Should they feel safe sending their kids to daycares and having, having their kids eat food? Is, is the system safe? The system's safe. The, there was a problem with this one particular daycare, uh, with this one particular common kitchen. And the uh, investigation, as you heard, was very thorough. Um, it sounds like there are still some questions as to what precisely happened in that kitchen that day that uh, the uh, that Dr. Jaffe is going to continue investigating. Uh, but more generally speaking, I think there'll be some lessons that, that we can learn from a, creating a framework to ensure the food, safe food handling practices exist at, at all facilities that are, are providing food to, uh, to parents. And as I mentioned, I think one of the, the things that, that came out was that just having the most recent inspection report allows for parents to have the information that they need to hold their own providers accountable. And that seemed to me to be a, a pretty good recommendation so we want to just make sure that that people understand the direction that we're going with this. But uh, I think I I take I take some comfort in the fact that this thorough investigation all roads led back to this common kitchen, and that's why this uh, that's why the investigation is is going to continue to center on, on what actually happened in that in that facility. Okay, a bit off topic here for yeah. my follow up, but uh, the federal immunization panel has recommended that folks get their COVID booster this fall. Just curious if we have a sense of when that's going to be available here in Alberta and if the province is going to be launching any kind of campaign to encourage people to do that. And I guess personally, if, if you yourself are planning to get the shot. I'll let um, Minister LaGrange tell you. I think we're just, we, I think we're just uh, uh, preparing the final details on the just press release on that. Before, before that, would you be getting the shot? Look, I'm I'm a healthy person. I uh, I tend to take care of my immune system, and I'm I believe this is something I should talk about with my doctor, not politi- not uh, media. Sorry. Um, thank you for the question. And, and yes, we just uh, received information from the federal government in terms of when we will be seeing those uh, vaccination, um, those vaccines available to the province. So we're working through the process. Um, all, as always, um, Albertans uh, do have access for flu, um, influenza, RSV, et cetera, all of the various uh, vaccines that are available. So once we have that information, we'll get it out as soon as possible as part of the normal course of business. Typically, vaccines are available the end of of, um, uh, September, beginning of October. So we anticipate that information coming very shortly. And just the same question to you, Minister LaGrange. Do you plan to get the shot? it depends which shot you're talking about. Like I'm, I'm, I'm looking. <laughs> I, I'm very healthy as well. Um, I have a very healthy immune system, and uh, you know what? I, I also believe that this is a personal decision for individuals to make. Um, I, I will look at that uh, as as time progresses and what my my journey is. But again, this is a, a personal decision. People have to make it for themselves, for their children, and we respect the decisions that people make. Thanks. Um, Sarah Often with Global News. I'm, maybe this is the most appropriate for, for Dr. Jaffe. Uh, I've heard from a lot of parents who are um, understandably very eager to have their kids go back to daycare. They're happy that their kids are now healthy, but they're waiting for, for test results, and they're frustrated that they haven't gotten those back. Are we seeing delays in that process right now? Um, is that perhaps linked to the transition back to precision laboratories. Can you comment at all on what those, why it's taking days and in some cases weeks for these families to be able to get these um, negative test results? Thanks for that question. There are a large number of samples that are being submitted to our laboratory. 
they are very quickly working through the samples. There is no real delay. There can be challenges getting the sample, getting the sample to the laboratory. Uh, but once it's in the laboratory, the testing is very quick and, and results are reported quickly. Now, some children require a single negative test, while some require two negative tests, depending on the exact circumstance. For So uh, if a child requires two negative tests, of course, that's going to require a longer period of time. But there is no delay in the laboratory. Understood. Um, perhaps for Minister Turton, I just wanted to ask about um, uh, one, one daycare in particular, um, which was kids' space. We had understood that... Um, that the parents were being told that they were not going to be receiving um, any kind of reduction to their fees for the time that was missed. As I understand it, and maybe it was Premier Smith that had said that, um, that that compassionate payment, which the parents are being told that is to cover um, that time that is missed, that was not intended for that. Can you provide any clarification um, regarding that compassionate payment and, you know, should daycares be providing um, compensation for that lost time from daycares? Well, I think Premier Smith said in uh, the last press conference that it was her hope that any of the daycares um, did the responsible thing and refund those dollars. And so I would hope that all daycares operators listening continue to you know, listen to that advice. But regarding the compassionate payment, it is a one-time payment for any parent that was affected by the September 4th closures as per the HS um, decisions to close or partially close our daycares. So as I stated earlier, if any parent has any questions about if they qualify for the payment, look at the portal, uh, contact our office, and we'll provide them all the uh, advice that they need. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning. Logan Stein of City News 660. Uh, just hoping to ask uh, the Premier a question here. With the, the city announcing fines, as we've already discussed, mm -hmm. up to $120,000 for fueling mines, I already start to see some people online saying that they don't think the fine is enough for what families have been going through. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get you know your thoughts on what you would say to these parents who still have kids in hospital, still very, very sick in some cases, and are trying to figure out how they got to this point. Yeah, well, this is not the end, obviously, of the investigation, and it's not the end of what we'll be doing as a consequence. So this is just, I think, the first measure that you saw the, the city take based on their area of jurisdiction to recognize that they didn't have a business license to, to do the work that they were doing, and the consequences are severe. So I would hope that uh, every uh, facility is making sure that they're in full compliance with all of their permits. Um, and in this in this case, we're, we'll continue the investigation. It's coming. It's nearing the end. It sounds like with uh, Dr. Joffe having one final piece to um, uh, before that is made public, and then our investigation that we're doing with uh, with Rick Hansen may lead to may may lead to more um, recommendations. So I think this is just the beginning. And a follow up to that question: um, Do you have like a timeline in mind? Are we looking at you know? years in some cases before this is all finally wrapped up or is it something that you think is well i can tell you if you, I, I had i proposed to rick hansen that we have an interim report by the end of december and a final report by the end of january and and so that's that's my level of urgency on this and he just felt like we needed to make sure that it was thorough and didn't want to to rush it he's got a number of people he's got to bring together a number of interviews he'll have to do so um i want to i want to just be respectful of the fact i don't think people want a rust report that's incomplete i think they want a full and complete investigation but my anticipation would be that this would be months not years thank you 
Thank you. And we're going to take two more questions from the floor here and then head over to the phones. Hannah said City News, uh, one Calgary mom whose two kids are still suffering from E. coli reached out to us and she said she is feeling disappointed with AHS and the government. She says her kids are still at home. She's missing work and the compassionate payment is not helping at all. Hmm. Well, she should be in touch with the, the minister's office. Uh, we we needed to to create some kind of of bridge because we knew that there would be parents who would have uh, these kinds of challenges. And so, the uh, unfortunately, every person's circumstances are different, and we're, we're hopeful that this will be enough to be able to assist those who are struggling as they continue to get, to uh, see their kids get well. The um, it's an, We haven't done this before. It's sort of new territory for us. We'll take that under advisement. hope this never happens again. Thank you. I have a question for Dr. Joffe. Uh, the Calgary mom says that uh, there is a lag in the test results. She says uh, it takes uh, it has taken like seven days for them after the test results were uh, after the samples were given to the hospital, and they're still waiting results. And the last results that they got were incorrect. She's frustrated. So I can't speak to the specifics because I, I obviously don't have them for that uh, for that situation. I, uh, my thoughts are certainly with the mother and the children who have been sick. Uh, what I can tell you is that testing in the laboratory, there are two, two different kinds of tests that are done. There is a PCR test that looks for the toxin that causes this disease. That test is a fairly quick test with a 24 to 48-hour turnaround time. However, in some situations, children require culture to make sure that the E. coli that caused this infection is gone, and that culture can take up to a week to finalize and say that there is no E. coli present. But what about the incorrect results that they are getting? I can't speak to that. Uh, our uh, Alberta Precision Laboratories Public Health Laboratory is a very high-quality lab, and uh, I obviously have no information about incorrect results, but uh, if, uh, if they would like to follow up with us, we can certainly look into that. Thank you. Rick Bell, Calgary Sun. Uh, before I ask the question, I want to beg the Premier's indulgence. There's a guy behind me who normally would not get a question, and he, this is his first question he's ever going to ask. He's in state journalism. Oh, so I'm excellent. willing to surrender my supplementary question to him <laughs> in order that he may get a question. I hope you don't mind. Sam, are you Feel free. You shouldn't let you Is that I'll, okay with yeah, you? I'll indulge you. Uh, okay, so, uh, so he'll, get, he'll get my supplementary. I'm sure it'll be better than the question I have. Um, I'm asking something different. A little, uh, I'll flash you my lapel pin and think uh, th- this might be uh, <clears throat> a hint of where I'm going. Today, uh, last night, the, uh, the government side in, in uh, Ottawa met, late night meeting. The Prime Minister is presumably finally going to question period today on this whole uh, chaos in Ottawa with regards to the uh, Zelensky visit. Um, the Quebec National Assembly weighed in yesterday and tried to distance themselves from what was going on in Ottawa, so there's a bit of a provincial precedent there. And... Um, why Why do you think, or do you think, and if so, why, why do you think this story is important? Not all the ins and outs about the speaker and who's the speaker going to mm-hmm. be and all of that sort of stuff, but what happened uh, and how the government of Canada has handled it so far. The government of Canada, not so much Speaker Rhoda because he's leaving, but how do you, how do you feel the government of Canada has handled this and why is it important that something be done? 
Well, I have um, Jewish staff members who were off on Yom Kippur, which is one of the most holy days in the um, in the Jewish calendar. And I can't tell you the the hurt that has caused to members of the Jewish community that this occurred. It's humiliating for Canada. Uh, it's embarrassing. And I'm glad that the speakers apologized and he's resigned for the mistake he made. Um, it was extremely inappropriate. I think everyone recognizes that. And um, I, I'm, I'm watching it with interest to see if the, the prime minister will also apologize today. Thank you. Hi, Kevin, Kevin Kratz, um, State uh, Broadcast News. Um, there's a lot of talk of the uh, you know, panels, charges, regulations, and compassion payments. But I just want to know if, um, if there's like a message that you're trying to get out to parents you know, mm-hmm. with their young kids in daycares. Um, these panels and stuff only do so much. So like what is the overall message you're trying to put forward? Well, I think part of it, the reason we had to get to the bottom of the investigation is so that people could have confidence in the daycare system, that they send their kids in the custody um, and care of of providers every single day throughout the week for those who have got uh, full-time care. And we wanted to make sure that uh, parents understood that this was an isolated incident for an isolated kitchen, had a huge impact because of the of the common nature of it and a number of the practices that occurred there, but I think that we, we wanted to give confidence that we've isolated the uh, the the kitchen in question and we're going to to work through any of the food handling practices that could potentially have led to this. Um, the the fact that it wasn't uh, that the the investigation wasn't able to pin down precisely which ingredient or which particular uh, practice uh, occurred means that we've got to to look at all of the uh, the issues of food storage on site, preparation, proper holding temperatures, proper transport mechanisms when it's being uh, delivered cold, when it's being delivered hot, reheating, what happens on site. So we have to make sure that all of those pieces in this particular facility are addressed and then also be able to make broader recommendations in the event that there are, are similar practices um, that uh, that could lead to this sort of thing. I think that it's a good education for everyone about how important food safety is, how important food handling is, and just how much damage and harm can be caused if if something goes wrong. Um, but we're, I'm, I was, I've been very pleased with the frontline response at the hospital. I think it's... Uh, uh, extraordinary that they were able to treat so many uh, patients successfully, and we're still hopeful for those um, remaining four that they are out of hospital soon. The I think AHS has done a tremendous job in being very detailed in uh, in their investigation. It's unfortunate that the two items in question just don't exist anymore for us to be able to to state with clarity, with absolute certainty. But I'm glad that they were able to point to the balance of probabilities. I think that also gives some guidance about uh, about some of the the potential uh, harms when when food is being handled. But I think generally speaking, if we've got anything that we can do in in law, anything we can do in giving guidance on safe food handling practices, I think it's up it's up to us to provide that that guidance, and that's what we're looking at doing. Thank you. And we should have time for one, maybe two more questions. We'll go to the phones here. Operator, could you put through the first caller, please? Thank you, Don Braid, Calgary Herald. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I don't think anybody would question the incredible rigor that AHS has brought to the investigation, but 
uh, also, I'm sure everyone would agree, you wish there had been no investigation in the first place. Could this have been prevented? Uh, it is very notable that there were 13 inspections over two years where many violations found. Uh, uh, and uh, to me, it always seems stri very striking that the only mention of off-site shipping that wasn't uh, either cooled or heated uh, comes after the, the centre was closed, indicating perhaps that the AHS inspectors weren't even aware of this. So I'd like to ask uh, Premier Smith and Dr. Yelby uh, if you could comment on that and whether you think that AHS inspections should have found, uh, should have been able to prevent this by perhaps earlier closure, a more rigorous attitude toward this particular issue. Thanks very much for the question. Uh, first, let me emphasize that this investigation is ongoing. Uh, we are looking at uh, multiple possibilities that might have led to how this outbreak has occurred. And so that is very active and ongoing. No final conclusions, of course, have been reached. And I don't want to speculate at this point on what we may find as the, uh, we need to carry through with the investigation. Uh, to address your, uh, your question or your point about, uh, uh, food transport temperatures, uh, there is a process that the investigators use when they inspect a facility. They do go through a checklist. There are approximately 25 items on the checklist. But beyond the checklist, what they are performing is a detailed risk assessment in the facility. And they're looking for physical, chemical, or biological hazards that may exist and, and looking for ways to, uh, to mitigate any risks that they do pick up on. Now, the, the reports that you see online reflect really just violations. If it is not reported online, then there was no violation detected. So again, there are 25 or so items that are, are gone through with each inspection, uh, and they will not, uh, what we do not currently have posted on the website uh, is, uh, is items that, uh, that are found to, to, to be clear and that are, are being performed uh, adequately. Now, it is common when a, an inspector visits a facility that the transport truck is not there. Of course, these inspections occur without warning. The inspector shows up, investigates uh, or inspects the facility, and the transport truck may not be there. But there is a conversation about how food is transported, whether cold food is maintained cold below 4 degrees, whether hot food is maintained hot over 60 degrees centigrade, uh, and it's up to the operator to report how they... Uh, carry out their transport and how they maintain those temperatures. And a follow-up, and that, and that may just be... Uh, yes, uh, sorry. I'll just say, and that, and that may be one of the things that comes out of our investigation is that uh, it, it could be that uh, if, if the truck is uh, not on site, it could be that a, a separate uh, visit is arranged to make sure that the truck is transporting food at the proper cold or hot temperature. It's possible that that may be one area that we have to have more rigor around um, based on, on what we've seen. There's just a lot of potential points of failure when you have a large kitchen entity with multiple vans delivering to multiple different sites and reheating potentially or refrigerating on site. So that's why we needed to have this separate investigation to, to see if there are any holes in the checklist or any additional processes we need to add. I don't think we know that, uh, and ultimately it's up to the operator to maintain a safe 
operating a safe operation and to perform uh, all of their duties safely. Um, the AHS inspectors, of course, visit uh, visit and inspect what they can. Uh, some of the information is provided by the operator, and ultimately, it's up to the operator to uh, operate a safe business. Perfect. And. Thank you, Don. And that's going to be all the time that we have for questions today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us.